Let us pray together. Oh God, send your spirit to be with us. Incline our hearts towards your love and our minds towards your truth and the beauty of Jesus Christ before us in these your words to us. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. In my Father's house there are many rooms. Believe it or not, these words were uttered not by William, Prince of Wales, but by Jesus of Nazareth, who by all accounts was a homeless and nomadic rabbi. Uh, This passage is part of what scholars call Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples in the Gospel of John. It's Jesus' last opportunity to instruct his disciples before he disappears altogether into heaven where his body can no longer be found. Over the centuries, Christians have become obsessed with this sense of otherworldliness as we imagine what the afterlife is, what heaven is. And so it's, you know, there's all kinds of interesting scholarly debates and um, medieval uh, interesting questions about the heavens, you know, will we all be playing harps uh, on clouds like the angels do in those pictures that you sometimes see in uh, hotel rooms? Is that heaven? Is that what we're in for? Um, is it a heavenly city like ours, you know? Is, is it, does it feel very much like just a renewed sense of the place we already call home? Does it have streets? Are those streets paved with gold? And of course, if it's based off our current kind of situation, we want to know if the trains run on time in the afterworld. Um, Is there work up there? What do we do? What occupies time if there is such a thing? Or will we, like some scholars believe, be captivated by worshiping God so intensely that heaven will be nothing more than an eternal church service, which incidentally is my version of hell. (laughs) Now, in the movie Elysium, I don't know if you've seen this movie Elysium, Uh, It's a movie set in the future, a science fiction film set in the year 2154, where the ultra-rich have developed a way to escape Earth and its pollution and its environmental degradation, and so they build basically a a spaceship, a, uh, a station that orbits the Earth called Elysium, and of course Elysium is this Greek word for heaven. Um, And to be a citizen of Elysium, you have to pay a certain amount of money and you have to be ultra-rich. And up there, the streets are clean. Anything that you can possibly have, you you can have. The air is clean. The water is drinkable. And incidentally, they develop a technology that can cure any disease. This machine called a Medipod where you can get into it and say your leg is broken or you have cancer and the pod Um, will just absolutely cure you. And of course, down on earth are all the have-nots, all the ultra-poor, who live in and amongst the ruins of environmental degradation, of all the pollution and all the things that we as human beings have done to the earth over time. And in the story, there's a character, Matt Damon. (laughs) And Matt Damon plays a character called Max, who feels this very unjust situation. And he works in the mines, mining minerals for this space station. And in the process of mining these minerals, he contracts cancer due to radiation exposure. And so Max wants to go to Elysium 
because he wants to get into one of these machines and be cured. Um, and of course, he finds a way to smuggle himself into Elysium. But when he's there, he discovers, once he finds himself in one of these machines, he finds that the machines are coded to the DNA of only people that are on the roster of citizens of Elysium. And so it becomes then this social justice movie, this movie about those who can be healed at the push of a button and those who have to suffer with the consequences of often what the rich and the powerful do to the world. It's a classic story of the haves and the have-nots, and it also is an interesting allegory for the spiritual longing of people who seek to escape hardship, the hardships of their lives. And this is where we would imagine this chapter, John 14, is taking us. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there may you be also. To be with Jesus is to be somewhere other than we are now, it seems. The promise Jesus is making to the disciples, and by extension to us, is that this relationship that begun will not end. We cherish Jesus' words, don't we? And the strong imagery of closeness that we find in these verses, where I am, there you may also be. We who dance and climb and run and who lie on the grass and sit watching the nightly news, we are waiting to be surprised by Jesus' hands over our eyes and a voice saying, guess who? But how can we rise above the grass and above our living room chair, above the tired or tempting body life that we live? How can we enter the pure life of the Spirit to be with Jesus. Now wait, before you let go of this image, of this rising up, and before you set your mind on these heavenly things, notice what else Jesus has to say to his disciples. That this takes place just over and after the Passover meal. And Jesus says something quite remarkable. He says, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me because I live, you will also live. Jesus here is talking about not heavenly things, but the earth. Very soon, Jesus will not be around to teach or preach or heal or to cast out demons. He won't be around to give them commandments like love one another like I have loved you. So soon he will send them an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And this is how Jesus will be present to them. And this is how Jesus is present to us. When he's not physically here anymore, Jesus says the advocate's power and presence will be with us forever. And that that forever includes the gravity of our earthen lives. Not just the subtle escapism that often accompanies our spiritual longings. So this tells me that God wants something to do with the now, with the here, with the earthiness of our embodied existence. There's a theologian called Barbara Lundblad, and she points out that this sounds personal at first, but it's most surely meant to be communal. Jesus may not be around in physical form, but of course spiritually Jesus says that he is around in something called a body. The church is considered, the main metaphor for the, for the church in the New Testament is the thing called the body, right? And the body has hands and feet and eyes and 
all kinds of different capacities and facilities, right? And so the presence of God in the world physically is Christ's body, you and me gathered together. And when Jesus was saying these words to his disciples, what's interesting to me is that it was quite a mixed crew. It was a mixed economy of people. It included people like Mary Magdalene, but it also included probably doubting Thomas. So I take some solace from the fact that the very first Christian community was about as purely minded as we are today. And many say, perhaps if the church were more pure, people would want to be a greater part of it. Perhaps if we were truer to ourselves and our message, we might not be labeled as hypocrites. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor around the time of the Second World War, was hanged for his part in a plot to kill Hitler only a couple of days before his concentration camp was liberated by the Allies. In his book, Costly Discipleship, he notes that the church is the body of Christ. And he says something very interesting. He says, the body of Christ takes up space on the earth. The body of Christ takes up space on the earth. He said, just as buildings take up space and cars and dirts and flowers, rocks, skateboards, people, he says, a truth, a doctrine, a religion needs no space for themselves. They are disembodied entities, that is all. But the incarnate Christ needs only ears or hearts, not only ears or hearts, but living people who will follow him. The body of Christ takes up space on the earth. Perhaps if the church were some simple spiritual idea, it would be more satisfying to so many of us. Perhaps if it was not so earthy and filled with earthy people who were imperfect, we might get on to doing the things that Jesus told us we should really do. Questions like, who will go to those in need and who will yoke themselves to the poor, the marginalized? Who will ascend the hill of the Lord, the psalmist say? Alas, scriptures tell us that there is no one to do it but us. It's a lovely thought that Jesus goes and prepares a place for us, but do we, do I, trust that Jesus has sent us a Holy Spirit that has also said, very truly I tell you, no one, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. In that movie, Elysium, the movie ends, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, with a grand reversal. It is a decade old, if you haven't seen it by now. There's this grand reversal. Character Max, played by Matt Damon, has a choice to make. After fighting the corrupt forces of Elysium and the ultra-rich and figuring out that the, uh, the, the, the leadership, the elected leadership, are in cahoots with the major multinational corporation that builds and maintains this space station and these medical ponds, after he figures this out, he does something quite radical. He figures out, because he has a hacking capability, he figures out how to get into one of these machines and instead of saving himself, he enters and uploads a new code into the machines. And he doesn't get healed, he dies. But what he does in his final act of sacrifice is he recodes the computers that run Elysium to recognize every single living person down on earth as a member of Elysium. And so the movie ends with these medical pods being launched from the space station down to earth to save all of the people 
who were dying from pollution and starvation had nothing but dirt to eat. And it's this beautiful metaphor, this beautiful metaphor of the way in which Christ's sacrifice has not been given to us just so that we can escape our earthly lives. But he's actually given us an advocate, a Holy Spirit, to empower us to live our earthen lives in this environment, in this place that we call our own, our home, to not abandon it or throw it away, but to embody it with Christ's love. Let not our hearts be troubled. Though Christ has gone away from us, we have been given this spirit, an advocate to do greater things than we might ever imagine. I leave you this morning with this prayer, this very old prayer that's attributed to St. Teresa of Avila, who was a mystic. And she says this. No hands, no feet on the earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which Christ looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes and yours are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes to which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on the earth but yours. The body of Christ takes up space on this earth. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Speak, O Lord, as a prayer that these words of Scripture might truly teach us how to be that body on the earth.